Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Discover the power within Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome, I'm Bishop Heather Shea from the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Today, with our Open Heart Conversations hosts, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman and Reverend Renee Rossi, and with our special guest, dream analyst and depth psychologist, Dr. Tyria Ward, to explore the rich world of dreams and their connection to our treasury of wisdom and transformative power. Thank you for joining us. I've done a lot of research uh, on you, uh, Tyria, and, and I've, been, I've been looking a lot of your, at your work for quite some time now. And I've noticed that your work brings you in, into a world where you're kind of you're bridging worlds in a sense. Uh, in fact, I think you have stated that your work is all about bridging the, the worlds of culture and nature, consciousness and unconsciousness, walking and dreaming, um, the, the, the visible world and the invisible world, the domesticated mind, the world of the domesticated mind, and the world of the indigenous mind. Can you tell us what you mean by that? I would be happy to explore that um, somewhat with you. There's so much to it, obviously. When I uh, finished my doctorate, I was living in in, uh, California. I finished my PhD in depth psychology. And my intention at that point was to open a retreat center and buy a a series of dreams, actually, that took me to the mountains of uh, Western North Carolina, where I opened a retreat center where I wanted to work on getting back in touch with the mind of nature um, and with our indigenous minds and the way that indigenous people understood the world um, and our place in the world. Um, and uh, and also working with dreams, which indigenous persons were very um, conscientious listeners and are still to this day, listen to the dreams of the people in the village every morning. And so I wanted to create a place where I could have a retreat center and bring people into this inquiry together and this quest and have these experiences. And so I was looking for a title for um, what my retreat center would be called. And I had a a number of experiences and dreams related to standing on a bridge. I had some beautiful dreams about crossing a bridge and with lots of other people going with me. Um, Some of these dreams are very detailed and I wish I could tell them all. They're so beautiful. But um, I finally realized what they were saying is that this is the this is going to be the name of my retreat center and basically the the key um, 
sort of image for the work that I do. It's bridging worlds. So it's bridging our, um, our life in the city and in culture and all of the beauties that we share there with the mind of nature. And so it's not leaving one for the other, it's how to bridge these parts of ourselves and these parts of the world. And then certainly in my doctoral work with Jungian psychology, um, we investigate quite a bit how to be in touch with the unconscious that drives us um, and that informs everything that we do, but that we're not aware of. So what are the portals to being becoming aware of what the unconscious has for us? And dreams is one of those major indicators and portals for that. With our conscious mind, the mind that we are greeting our daily life with and responsibilities and relationships and so forth. So how do we get all that is in the unconscious together with all that is in our conscious mind? And so that's a bridging. Uh, let's see, we have the, the waking and the dreaming. It's like our um, waking life is very much informed and influenced by our dreams of the night. And our dreams of the night are very much informed and influenced by our, our life in, during the day, our waking life. So how do you get the waking and the sleeping together? Um, and all of the information to flow in and out of um, these different aspects of our experience when we're asleep or when we're awake. And then, uh, let's see, the invisible and, and visible realm. I'm somebody who has always had a sense that I'm working with angels and ancestors and guides that are not visible to the, um, to the, these five senses, but that are very present and make themselves known in a very present way. Um, and then certainly there are so many influences that are uh, working with us at all times, planetary influences, ancestral influences, um, collective, the collective psyche of the world that we inhabit and the nature's influences, all of those are in the invisible realm and we can't put our finger on them and we can't get them even to show up often, uh, register on our technology and instruments, but they're very uh, influential in our life. So how do we get the invisible realm to be bridged with the, that which we can see with our, our senses? So I'm bridging those worlds. So it goes on and on from there. I actually had a person who came to one of my retreats and she wasn't all that aware of how I had named it. I didn't have a big sign up or anything. And the first night that she was there, she said she was walking around my property and she kept running into these little bridges, you know, that went from one little place to another. And there were bridges all over my property. And I thought, yay, it's happening. <laughs> This is uh, this bridging worlds thing is really true. So even though I sold that that retreat center and I work in town now in um, more in this way, um, I still call my work bridging worlds. It's not a retreat center anymore, but it is the the sort of the it's on my website and it's it's what I call my work. I'm bridging worlds. That's what I do. It's, it's really interesting when um, a group of us were once having a conversation about New York City and, and, it, it, and this story came to mind the moment you were talking and, and someone said, you know, what, what integrates New York City is the bridges. The bridges make the city a whole. 
Uh-huh. So in a sense, is it correct to say when you say you, you're working to bridge worlds, that in some respects what you're working is to integrate, that there's something in dream and in the dream world that's all about integration. Am I right or wrong? No, that's perfect word for it. That is an exactly perfect word for it. And, it, it, you know, and it's a beautiful example when you see in New York City that you're crossing from one, you know, side of that bridge to the other, it, there's whole different worlds on each side. So that, you know, that exists in, in you know, waking time in that way, but also in the psychic spiritual realm exactly works the same way and so thank god for the bridges right or what would we do so yeah wonderful so taria when you're speaking of these um these worlds we're not aware of or that invisible you have written unseen forces and energies that move the ocean and the weather are also moving us um can can you speak to you know what that means Yes, and there are so many ways to describe the unseen forces that are moving us, but I would say um, we're not awake or aware if we don't realize that we are being moved by these unconscious and unseen forces. It's really important. Actually, I have a quote of Buckminster Fuller's that I love um, that you've heard me say before, Renee, but... um, and this describes it. I heard Bucky say this, Buckminster Fuller, who was a great scientist, philosopher, um, influencer, inventor, um, died in 1983. I knew him as a young person and I heard him say these words and it's sort of influenced my entire life. 99.9% of all that is now transpiring in human activity and interactions with nature is taking place within the realms of reality, which are utterly invisible, inaudible, unsmellable, and untouchable. So according to Bucky, this great scientist, even, even he was very aware that that which 99.9% of that which moves us is un, un, invisible, unsmellable, inaudible. And um, so there are so many ways that we can begin to discern and describe that. I know that you have um, series work with Lawrence Hillman. He's such a brilliant astrologer, but he can describe very... Um, effectively how the planets move us and how um, the the constellations are influencing how we think and do. And I think it's a, a sort of hubris of the Western ego, especially, but, you know, any kind of ego consciousness that thinks we're in control of our thoughts and our deeds and so forth, that we're the, the masters of our world, but actually we're being moved. It's not that we are moving it, it is moving us, and we are participating in these great forces. And so for us to get really in kind of humble collaboration with these forces, um, I think is it is an important part of the work, and it, it is a major um, help and aid to us to be able to listen to our dreams, because our dreams are forever informing us about these invisible forces and what they're doing. And so that we can get into conscious collaboration with what is moving us 
Um, what is motivating us? What is What are these drives? And are they deeply ancestral? Are they deep in the collective heart of our nation, um, of our civilizations um, in the last many eras? Um, what What is it that actually moves us? And it, is it personal or is it an impersonal collective force that's moving us? So the dreams are going to give us a lot of insight into that and help us make very conscious and and um, and much better decisions for ourselves and for our families and for our communities and for the planet, for our species and and uh, um, all of nature. So to be able to have that portal into um, how these forces are speaking to us at all times, the dreams are a major um, tool for that. That's beautiful. So essentially what you're saying is that dreams are a path into this world. It's it's an open doorway for us to access all of that. Definitely. They're bridges. They're bridges between this world and, and the other world. In the Celtic world, they call it with a capital O, the other world. It's, there's there's this world that we see with our senses and the other world, which is also just, just as close as our very breath, as our heartbeat. Yes. Taria, there's a, uh, pardon me, there's a Talmudic statement that you quote regularly. Um, and it, it goes something like this. An uninterpreted dream, an uninterpreted dream is like throwing away an unopened letter from God. Speak to us what you mean by that, or what's meant by that Talmudic statement that you so so deeply enjoy. I do appreciate it very much because, I mean, just think about what that would be. Somebody writes, takes the trouble to write you an extensive letter, um, whether it's a loved one or a parent or a relative or a friend, and you receive that letter in the mail or in your inbox and you delete it. What have you missed out on? And that is what is happening every night when we receive our dreams. We are being being given really important, really uh, personal, timely relationship information between ourselves and the and the other world, the divine world, and you know what. Uh, there's different names that people have for it, but if we want to say God or however you prefer to to address the the deities that work with us. Um, those deities are speaking to us in a very personal, very healing, very timely way. And they want a relationship with us. Uh, And it is through our dreams that we are contacted. And so if we get up in the morning and decide to forget the dream, the information will come to us in a variety of ways. Um, it may meet us as fate if we don't listen to our dreams. Um, so there'll be fateful events that we maybe could have worked to um, to avoid or to at least um, alter in, in a way that would be more comfortable if we were receiving the information uh, in our dreams. So um, I would say even though... Uh, 
I, I think it's so interesting that that even me, I've been listening to my dreams really for almost 50 years now. I've been writing down my dreams every day. And, and even with all that experience, I tend to wake up in the morning and think that was a silly dream. I don't need to write that one down. And then I have to kind of step over that log, as they say in, in Tai Chi, step over the log and go write the dream down. And usually when I'm writing it down, it starts to download. I get why that that silly seeming dream has really valuable and important lessons for me today. Something that gives me some insight into what I'm working with psychologically, spiritually, um, and even in direct relationships on this day. It gives me like a seed um, of knowledge or insight that is really helpful. And as David Bohm, the quantum physicist said, insight changes the brain. It actually changes the brain. It's not just something ethereal. It actually hits our, um, our, the, the connectors in the brain. So when we get those insights, we're actually working with a cre- very creative process. So don't throw away your letters. These letters are really, really want to reach out and help and, and love us. And heal us and help us. So, so you just explained so beautifully, Taria, how dreams are really connected to our spiritual life, not just our unconscious or invisible life. So I'm wondering if you can give us some examples of some famous dreams that um, are, are from, you know, different um, wisdom traditions or sacred scriptures. Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. You know, I find it so interesting. I do hear along the way sometimes that um, some leaders in certain organized religions tell people not to listen to their dreams. And I'm very suspicious of that. They don't want them to have a direct connection with God because they want, you know, they feel like they need to control the information or the story or the narrative of whatever it is. And so this is our sort of direct connection with the divine and con- and I just want to say that revelation is continuous it it does not it did not stop at the end of these sacred scriptures that we have you know we have the judeo christian bible we have the upanishads we have the bhagavad gita we have all these and they are very sacred but revolution revelation continues it's the story continues and is uh, keeps getting written and so the dreams are, you know, can contribute to that sacred scripture. So all that to say, I wonder when religions say not to listen to your dreams, how they, dis- how they explain that all- most of our uh, sacred stories were influenced by the dreams. For example, um, when uh, in, in the narrative of the Christian story, Mary turns up, uh, unwed, pregnant teenager, <laughs> and she's betrothed to this man. And and what's he to understand from the fact that she's pregnant? And so she tries to explain this, you know, that this enunciation experience that she had. But you know, what is Joseph to 
get from that. You know, it's like, it, certainly he respected her, but, but he needed something more. So he had a dream. And in the dream, an angel appeared to him and said, do not be afraid to marry her. That what she, what is in her womb is, is conceived by the Holy Ghost. And so then, of course, he was very um, comforted to know that, that he received his own divine uh, revelation of that event. Uh, later, later in, in their life, when, after the baby Jesus was born, uh, there was Herod wanted to kill all the young babies because he was told this was going to be a king. He didn't understand the nature of this king that was being born. He thought it was somebody who was going to take over his family. So he wanted to kill all the babies. And so Joseph, before all this came down, uh, was told in a dream to take his family into Egypt so that Jesus wouldn't re suffer that fate that, that all those young under two-year-old boys in that kingdom were slaughtered. So, I mean, and, and it goes on from there. there. There are dreams that influence how things go all through the Christian Bible and through the Old Testament as well. Um, and then also in, um, in Islam, Muhammad received the Quran. The first um, um, stories and inklings of the Quran came to him in dreams. Um, and so he, a lot of his uh, direct revelations were because he woke up and wrote down his dreams. And, um, and Buddha, Buddha's mother, when she um, was pregnant with, with Buddha, she, a white elephant entered her side in a dream. And that's how they knew this was going to be uh, an important soul that was incarnating through her. So uh, Buddha's, mother, or Buddha's mother had the dream of her incarnation of Buddha. And the night before his enlightenment, Buddha had five dreams. And he wrote down and told the stories of these dreams. And these dreams have become classic and Buddhist wisdom and understanding the dreams of Buddha. And, you know, these are just some of the stories, but most of the major religions were downloaded through dreams. And so that, and that's what we have, and they continue to be. So um, I would say, uh, listen to your dreams. They, those dreams came to those characters in our um, in our religious and, uh, and spiritual histories, but they're also coming to us now. And that's what the dream story sh should be. Not that that was then, this is now, but no, this is a continuous event. And um, to shut it down is, uh, I think, a tragic loss. Dario, what do you mean when you say dream time? Oh, I love this one. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, I first heard that term when I was studying the Aborigines of Australia. And uh, in, in their tradition, they articulate that we all live in a dimension of our reality. All those of us sitting here right now listening to this. Um, series and having this conversation 
even now we are living in the dream time. There is another dimension of reality that we're also living in that is symbolic and metaphoric and that our psyche and our consciousness is being informed by um, all of the forces that we were talking about, the 99.9% of the forces that we're talking about, plus um, the way that uh, the collective psyche of our nation and our world are influencing just even how we perceive ourselves in this moment in time. There is a whole dimension that we are actually living in right now at all times that they term the dream time. And it is the it is the level of our being that we inhabit that often we shut down through the overemphasis on rational thought and thinking rational thought is the only way the this sort of interactive um, reasoning mind has become the dominant mind um, in the last many centuries. Um, and so that, if we let that style of thinking and mind dominate, then we often c cut ourselves off from this other dream time mind, the dreaming mind. Uh, and that is the thing. That's the reason I love indigenous ways of knowing because they know how to keep them both going at the same time. They don't denigrate the rational reasoning mind. It is, uh, it is a, it has good function and good purpose, obviously. But if it overtakes the the this other aspect of mind, then we get into a collective psychosis, which one could say we are in when we're destroying our own earth, our own, um, they say we're the only species that destroys its own nest. No other species destroys the their nest. And so this is what, you know, if we could get back in collaboration with our dream time self and the dream time mind um, and, and recognize how to be in consistent uh, confluence with the energies and the messages and the meanings and the stories of that aspect of mind, um, then we would be more sane. They, you know, the, the Aborigines actually think the Western person has gone insane because it only thinks with the head and um, and not with the heart. And and their thought is that that the thinking of the heart is where the the great wisdom is. The head should be in service to what the heart knows and the heart understands. And that is a that's the the level of thinking that we have in the dream time. Um, and they say that Western people have uh, gone insane because they um, only dream at night, whereas they step in and out of the dreaming awake they don't need to go to sleep in order to step into that dimension of consciousness and awareness and and conversation i'm reverend bishop heather shea of the united palace of spiritual arts we will return in a minute to explore how dreams are gateways to the deepest realms of connection and communication between humanity and the divine all are welcome we're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to our conversation with Dr. Taria Ward. 
it's interesting you've mentioned the indigenous um, indigenous wisdom. How has indigenous wisdom affected your thinking and informed your work? Well, oh, I there's a book I need to write on that because it's so extensive um, and it's it, so important to me. Um, so let me just say that uh, I had been a minister for 20 years um, and really loved my calling, was very passionate about it, very committed to it. And there came a point after about 20 years where I realized I'd hit a wall and that being in an organized religion was preventing me from the next steps that I needed to make. And so I, I resigned from the ministry and I moved toward a doctorate in depth psychology because the dreams were the bridge you know, that I listened to my dreams all during my ministry. And then the, uh, the work with Jung and Freud and their understanding of dreams was what led me into the, my doctoral work in depth psychology. And it was the indigenous ways that were kind of calling to me that didn't have an exact way to fit into um, the, the narrative of the of the spiritual community that I had been in. So I needed to follow this. I had a breakdown. It was terrible. I was so sad and so sorry about the events that were um, uh, taking place in my life that I felt like were bigger than me, that I didn't know what to do. And so as I had this breakdown, Jose, I went, I decided to do 10 days in the woods all by myself on a vision quest and it was then that I started being communicated to in a way that I could say so much about um, by the elements of nature. I would ask a question and all of a sudden a wind would come through and the reeds and the grass in front of me would form these pictures and tell as if in a dream and tell my psyche what the answers to these questions I was asking were. I had so many different events where I recognized that the mind of nature, I even had the tree ask me something to do something for it. The tree that I was sitting under for 10 days had a little thing that was bothering it. And it was able to get through to my, and speak to me the way that we're spoken to in dreams, that way we, it's not hearing with this ear, but it's hearing very clearly. Uh, and so the tree actually spoke to me and, and, and the wind and the stars and all of it. And I recognized that this is what indigenous people knew. They were in total collaboration with the, uh, the, the sound of the water, the sound of the birds, what was being spoken to, that this whole dialogue of nature, we were embedded in that. And that's what kept us balanced and sane. And that to step away from that and to, um, I mean, here I was at that point, I think in my 40s, my mid-40s, and I'd never been taught to listen to nature in these ways. And it took, it took a tragic sort of turn in my life and a breakdown for me to put myself in the way of it and get there. And then I recognized I needed to really step away from the dominance of a certain style of mind into this other style of mind. And it's been my quest ever since to... to integrate as you were your beautiful word for that is to integrate um, the other aspect of mine that I don't discard, but I integrate it with this, this uh, dreaming mind and the indigenous, what I call the indigenous mind, um, the, this, this way of perceiving the world. Um, and, and without that, I feel that we're making 
poor decisions for our survival on this planet. You know, that's why we're having these climate issues and, um, I don't know, killing and destroying each other, all this, you know, all this violence against one another. I don't think that would be there if we were listening to the balance of nature and ourselves in a different way. So, so in a sense, that's really what you mean when you say that you're bridging worlds. You're, you're, you're basically, your work is all about helping us to bridge our world to ourself, to our deeper, deeper elements of our consciousness, to bridge um, worlds to others, um, particularly those who are indigenous peoples whose wisdom has been forgotten, and to a, a bridge to really, in many ways, a different understanding and experience and relationship to the world that we live in. In that sense, you are bridging and integrating worlds. Yes, absolutely. And that is my intention, to do that in my own psyche and to help um, awaken this idea for all of us together. That's what I do all day, every day. And I love the way you just articulated that. And that reminded me of a little quote that I brought um, here from Carl Jung. I love this one. He says, the dream is the small hidden door in the deepest and most intimate sanctum of the soul, which opens into that prime primeval cosmic night that was soul long before there was a conscious ego and will be soul far beyond what a conscious ego could ever reach. So it's like, here we are in our conscious egos and the dream is that hidden door to this whole aspect of soul that we are, that is who we are, and that we are embedded in and part of, um, that was here before our conscious ego ever existed and will be here beyond that. And we are part of it. We participate in it now. And the dream is the, is the hidden door uh, that bridges those worlds. Yeah. That makes me so hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, me too. Me too, Renee. I love that. I do feel that. I feel like all the solutions that we can't find with our rational reasoning minds, we're trying so hard as a species, we're working so hard, but all those solutions are there. The solutions are there. And if we just get into this other style of mind and open that hidden door uh, and allow that information um, to flow, um, the solutions are right here. It is very helpful, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to um, expand on something you mentioned briefly. Um, you you just described dreams as figurative, symbolic, and metaphoric. Mm -hmm. So can you can you speak to that and and sort of help us decipher what we what we do with that when we're looking for these solutions? Yes. Um, you know, I often say that uh, that uh, a dream is its own language, and it's a language that needs to be learned. And for example, if say you're sitting in a restaurant and there are some people from Korea, you know, having a conversation in their language, you don't understand a word of it, but you know it makes perfect sense. But you don't understand the language, right? And that's what the dreams are. They're going on in the night, and people wake up and think, I don't know. You know, I, I can't understand any of that. What what am I supposed to do with that? And it's sort of like listening to, you know, somebody speaking a language you totally have no no uh, knowledge of. But the dream language is its own language, and it can be learned. And the and the language of the dream is symbol and metaphor. Um, and so it is always speaking to us in this very symbolic way. And if we can get into the symbolism uh, and how the 
like libraries of information that can come out of one symbol. Um, and those are, are uh, you know, coming to us in our dreams of the night at all times. If we can start to uh, begin to discern the symbols, as, as you know, Renee, I know that you know, and, and many in the United Palace know the, the work with the tarot. Now, there's a language of symbols that if you place the cards down there, you know, there's all kinds of information that comes through those symbols. And it's very similar the way dreams organize these symbols. And then through that organization of the symbols, we begin to get what the information is. So it's a language that can be learned and it just is learned by every day paying attention. So you write down that dream, you um, maybe don't understand it, but you trust that it has something. And so you let it kind of work on your psyche through the day. Why did I dream of that person? Why was it this event? What was that strange little incident in the dream that happened last night? And what is the metaphor? What is the symbol? What is it a symbol of? Um, and, and so you can, uh, by effort and intention, learn, learn that language so that when it uh, when your dreams happen in the night, you just let them in to your psyche and uh, you begin to understand the symbol, the metaphor, the figurative language of the dream. Um, Tari, if, um, if you're in the restaurant uh-huh. and you hear that conversation, uh-huh. it's people talking, right? Uh-huh. People talking to each other, three or four people. So who or what is communicating to us. If, if, if there is a communication that's taking place in the dream, who or what is speaking to us? I, I just love that question. It almost brings tears to my eyes because I think that is the major question. And it just literally, I'm almost going to cry here because I think that really touches the core of what we're investigating. And I, I, so I will just say what my sense is right now. I think it's mystery, you know, and it's like that it's such a big mystery. And my sense is that it is that we're all one thing. Like I just heard somebody say on a uh, beautiful documentary I watched the other day, there is really only one mind on this planet. That's it. We're all part of it. It's one thing. So I would say that one mind that we are all part of, we are aware of that's speaking to us in our dreams, the way that you and I are connected, though we've never met in the flesh yet until today, you know, there's a way that we've known each other forever and will know each other forever. And that's what we're connecting into. I feel like there are beings myself. I have this sense that there are ancestors and, um, um, helpers that we all that kind of watch over all of us and that track us and and actually have in their mind this is what Taria needs to know today so I'm going to give her an image for that because it will help her in the conversation she's going to have this afternoon that she doesn't even know that she needs that um, so I feel like I always feel like there's an overdwelling mind that is prescient that actually knows what I'm going to need later in the day or the week or the month and so it's it's offering something to me, and that to me feels like an individual kind of spirit. Could be an ancestor. To me, I have a, a, a personal devotion to uh, Mary, Mother of Jesus, and Jesus 
uh, himself. They're very dear to my heart. And I often feel like it's their mind that it's guiding and directing me because I apply to them at all times through my prayer and love and intention. I feel like it is returned through their mind sort of helping me, but everybody has their own sort of sense of who's helping them. And, and, but so as you can see, you know, it's like, who is that that's talking to us? It's all of it. It's, all of it. And there are very particular voices as well, I think. And often people know this was my grandmother who came in and said, I have one client whose grandmother is always there in her dreams telling her exactly what she doesn't want to hear, but exactly needs to hear. And her grandmother, who she respects and adores, she can take it from her where she couldn't take it from somebody else. Um, So, you know, our loved ones um, from all dimensions are able to get through to us in our dreams, as well as, you know, all the, that invisible realm of, of spirit uh, and nature itself. Um, Re- Reverend Renee has ta- asked you about the symbolism and, uh, the, and the, um, the metaphoric nature of dreams, but are there dreams that are not necessarily metaphors and symbolic? Are there, for example, such things as precognitive dreams? Uh, yes, I would say absolutely. There are precognitive dreams. In my experience, usually I don't know it was precognitive until the event actually happens. And then I say, ah, I dreamed that. (laughs) My dreams were preparing me at this other level in the dream time body. You know, my dream time consciousness absolutely knew this was going to happen, but my waking consciousness is now just experiencing it. But the fact that I had that precognitive dream is very helpful for me to accept. This is no accident. This is not some random event. This is something that has been um, forecast and, and is ordained for me to experience good or bad, you know, in certain ways. So, but, um, I would say the precognitive dreams, for the most part, to recognize they're symbolic and to wait and see how they turn out, because I think it would be dangerous to consider um, that, you know, you're a precognitive dream and to consider how literally it might turn out and then prepare ourselves in a very literal way. Just kind of trust and wait and see. Um, I had a most interesting experience of and a big event in my life, something that was very huge. And I used to describe that event in a certain way, in certain metaphoric language. I felt like I exploded and I exploded from the inside out when that event happened. And it happened on that event happened on April 15th of 1999. And I would describe it that way. Well, I have been writing down my dreams, as I said, for almost 50 years now, since I was 24 years old, and I'm almost 70. So do the math there. So I was looking through an old dream journal, and I happened to see that on April 15th of 1989, I had a dream that I described where I exploded from the inside out and everything burst into flames. And that I was saying at the time, God is a consuming fire. And that was the only thing that kept me from disintegrating by this explosion. And that's exactly how I described without any memory of that dream at all. That's exactly how I described the event that happened 10 years later 
on April 15th of 1999. It was exactly 10 years to the day that I'd had that precognitive dream. Isn't that amazing? And if I hadn't been searching for something else in that dream journal, I would have never realized it. So I realized my dream journals probably have a lot of those stories that I haven't yet been able to uh, discern. Someday I'm going to read all those, that bookcase of journals. And, and, and really, I think there'll be a lot of information and in seeing how things turned out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That sounds like the other book you need to write. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've mentioned a dream journal. I'm wondering if you can explore some of the ways people can work with their dreams, knowing that, you know, it's this, this treasure of all this information and these connections we're not always aware of, um, you know, a dream journal, a dream group, a, a counselor, you know, can, can you explain those and, and what would you recommend? I, um, I, I really strongly recommend to almost anybody who will do it. I feel like you will benefit if you write down your dreams of the night. And lots of people tell me, and I'm sure we all hear it, I don't dream, I don't dream. What am I supposed to do? Well, the thing is, is once we intend to pay attention to our dreams, often it, we don't dream because because we just have decided not to remember that they're not important. Um, so if we decide that they're important and we decide to remember, then I would say when you go to bed at night, have a little pad and paper right next to you and um, look at that pad when you're going to sleep and say, I'm going to, I really want to remember, ask your dreaming mind to, to help you remember your dreams. And then in the night, I did this just last night, I leaned, I reached over with a pencil on my pad, I didn't even open my eyes, and I wrote down what, what you know, something that would remind me of that dream. I was so glad I did, because I got up this morning and saw it, and I would have forgotten. So, you know, you can train yourself to just track, even in your sleep, practically, what, what the dreams are that are coming. And, uh, and then when you wake up in the morning, uh, try to develop a habit of usually when we wake up, we're thinking of putting our feet on the floor and going to brush our teeth and get our coffee or whatever it is, you know, our mind goes right directly to the things that we're about to do next. So try to just wait and hold your body in the position that you wake up in and reflect where you just were instead of where you're going. So look backwards instead of forwards for just a minute and see what you can bring back. So whatever it is that you can bring back, write it down. And so I make these little notes in the night, but then I sit down with my dream journal and I do it. I do this religiously. It's the one co continuous sort of religious practice I've had in my entire life. My spiritual practice is to write down those dreams as early in the day as I possibly can for a variety of reasons. One, I remember it more earlier in the day. And the other is by the time after I write it down, it starts to keep informing my day it you know then I see what the medicine of it is and if I waited till later in the afternoon or whatever to write it down I kind of would have missed how it unfolded in a certain way during the day but whenever you do it I'm saying that you know there's not just one right way to do this but I would say write down your dreams um, and and then talk about them I talked to my grandson he's only five I talked to him I asked him about his dreams and he tells me about his dreams so and so talk talk with each other about them. And, and uh, in terms of a dream group, 
I think that could be if you have people that are uh, want to be in conversation about their dreams, a beautiful thing to do is to do a dream group. And I'm going to be um, giving a lesson on on sort of how the ethics of a dream group. And, and if anybody really wants to know, they can contact me and I'll send uh, a document that I've created. But I'm going to be teaching a little bit more about how to start a dream group and how to really um ethically and conscientiously listen to one another's dreams and not intrude on the language of their dream by imposing our own thought, you know, just sort of letting the other person unpack their dream and not impose, you know, what it would mean to us too soon. And then wait for, you know, and ask more questions instead of, um, instead of interpreting it too much ourselves too soon. So there, you know, there's sort of a delicate way to listen to each other's dreams. But if you do that, then as a community, as a, you start to understand the language of the dream, you see how it's working in, in that person's life, you kind of support the way that it's working in that person's life. And that helps you to understand the nature of the dream and that we're all dreaming at all times anyway. So, uh, so there's, there's beautiful things that can be done in, in, in dream groups that meet once a week or once a month or once every two weeks, you know, however you design it. Um, yes. What inspired you to enter into this kind of work? Well, I had a spiritual teacher um, who I met. She was lovely. Her name was Henri Colton. And she was the one that of uh, the organization that I was ordained in. Um, and she had her students. She was so, um, so, so emphatic about the importance of dreams. Um, and she had us, she was the one that, that uh, advised her students to start writing down their dreams. And because I was working with her very sincerely for uh, a long time, I, I took that very seriously. So I wrote down my dreams every day. And then everybody I knew in that sweet community, we all discussed our dreams with one another. And as a minister, I was speaking, doing a lot of speaking. And my dreams were a scripture kind of thing that I drew from. It was like the, the images and the metaphors and the um, stories that came through to sort of illuminate uh, the ideas that I was discussing or the sort of spiritual notions that I was discussing. They were always in the speaking that I was doing, and they continue to be. So it was because of, of her uh, and her em emphasis on working with the dreams and then living in a community where we did that, that I began. And then I, uh, as I said later in my midlife, when I changed course in life, I, because of my love for the dream and the dream work, I decided to get my doctorate in depth psychology because of Jung's interest in work with dreams and Freud's as well. Uh, so, and then when I started doing this work with the indigenous mind and having the retreat center, I found that people were calling me all the time to talk to me about their dreams. So then I started setting up a practice. It was just, it came to me. I didn't, you know, put out a, a post and say, I'm going to do this. It was just because I was working with the indigenous way and the indigenous mind, people's dreams were enlivened and they wanted to discuss them with me. So that's where my private practice began, where I started working with people individually with their dreams. And so I listened to dreams all day, you know, every day. And I am amazed at the narrative that comes through. You know, I might have three people in a row that have a very similar theme in their dreams and they don't know each other. 
It's so I start to see how the dreaming mind of the whole collective body of the world is working and it's showing up in different people in different ways and different times that don't even know each other. And it's all there. So, um, so I, I, I'm in continual sort of fascination and, and high regard for the information that's coming to us through the dreaming. Daria, is there such a thing as sort of a person who's a better dreamer or do people have different ways of dreaming, different, even different abilities within dreaming? Well, that's a really good question. You know, I can say in my own observation, I, I meet people a lot who dream a lot and they dream in long narratives of just like, they are just dreamers. And I don't know what creates that. I, you know, I wish I did. I wish I knew the magic formula for having such great memory and such detailed dreams. Um, some people are just exhausted by their dreams. It's like they don't want it, but they've got it. You know, So they have to learn how to work with that. Uh, and then others who, um, you know, if they get one little tiny scenario from their dream, they consider that a good dream night. Um, so there's, you know, there's such a range of it. And I don't know what creates, um, you know, the differences, but I would say all people are dreaming at all times. We are all dreamers. And so, it, and life is a dream. Our waking life is a dream. If we look at it symbolically and metaphorically, and oracularly, you know, it's, we're never not dreaming. So I wouldn't want anyone to consider, ah, you know, this isn't for me because I don't remember my dreams. No, you, you know, your dreaming self and your dreaming mind can be connected to. Um, and, and I, I do think that paying more attention to it does stimulate your recall of dreams of the night. And so just kind of stay with it. Never be discouraged. Don't make this a performance anxiety. You know, just like stay with it and be really just happy or content with whatever attention uh, you can give it. You've been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, brought to you from the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. I'm Bishop Heather Shea. Until next time. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 